Good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, I'm Matt, and I'll be giving the scripture reading for today, which comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to 18. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word of the Lord. All right. So I think this mic should be working. We were having some technical difficulties, so there we go. All right. Good morning again. Good to see you all. Welcome to our worship service here today. Glad to glad that you are here. I'm glad to be with you, and especially those online as well. Glad that you're here worshiping with us. I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors. If you didn't know who I am, and we pray and hope you are blessed by uh, the time together as we sing songs, as we pray, as we now hear his word. And so um, we are continuing in our series through First and Second Thessalonians. We're actually finishing uh, First and Second Thessalonians uh, here today. And um, next week, Pastor Jeff will be coming back and starting us off with a new series called The Habits of the Heart, and he'll introduce that next week, which will focus on the spiritual disciplines that help us build good habits, good habits that keep our eyes and hearts fixed on Jesus in our everyday lives. So that's what we're going to be starting next week. But again, today we're finishing off Second Thessalonians. So to kind of recap what's been going on here, Paul has written this second letter to the Thessalonians to address growing controversies in the church. Paul mainly addresses false teachings that have been happening surrounding Christ's second coming. And so that's what was dealt with in the first and second chapter. And he deals with this false notion that Jesus' second coming was imminent, was happening like soon, very, very soon. And and some people believe that it had already happened, that he had already come back. And somehow 
the rapture had already happened, and so these people were left behind in some way. And so they were scared and worried about that, and Paul assures them that this is not the case, and that when Jesus does come, he will judge all people throughout all of history. And as Christians, we can take comfort and hope in knowing that he will not only save us, but he will avenge those who have hurt us. He will punish those who deserve it, and he will restore all things as they are meant to be. And then he further explains that we don't have to be frightened when that day will come, when the Lord's day, the day of the Lord will come. There will be uh, a great rebellion that happens, and there will be um, apostasy, and there will be sacrilegious leaders, basically meaning people will reject God, and, so, and the so-called religious leaders will teach false truths, and they will lie. And so, you know, we don't know what that will look like exactly. You know, there's speculation about what this end time will look like. But Paul is saying that the time does not seem to be now, which was, you know, back then with the Thessalonians. And he's saying Jesus does not seem like he will return yet. And instead, what we are called to do is continue to seek God for comfort during this persecution that we're enduring, during these difficult seasons. And may the Lord help us in doing the good work of his kingdom. So that's what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians here up until now. And so this week, Paul is focusing on the work, uh, focusing on the subject of work and the subject of being idle, I-D-L-E. And my message is titled Idol Worship, where we will be addressing the idol, I-D-O-L, of being idle, I-D-L-E, just to you know, not confuse us here, all right? So this is also, again, the last chapter of his letter, and he is, uh, as usual, requesting prayer, as Paul often does to these churches. He requests prayer for perseverance against those who oppose him, uh, especially against Satan, who opposes the good work that they are doing. And Paul ultimately declares his confidence in the Lord that God will preserve these Thessalonians, and that God will help them to persevere in their faith. And he leaves them behind uh, this one last word of instruction for them. So before we go in, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time as we go into his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us and open our hearts and minds and help us to listen to your word here today. Help us to see the ways in which we need to address the subject of work in our own lives. So God... Uh, May you be with us during this time. May your spirit move in us in a powerful way in our church, and our congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, back in 2016, the World Health Organization had done a study on the laziest countries in the world. And the goal was to find at least uh, the least physically active countries. And being active, as they define it, uh, according to the WHO, is doing at least 75 minutes of vigorous activity a week, all right? Or 150 minutes of moderate activity a week, or some combination of the two. So maybe not maybe as much vigorous activity as 75 minutes, but maybe a little less, but in, you know, maybe not as much as 150 minutes, but you know, getting close to there. So and this is what they consider to be active, 
And they, the WHO said that their results showed um, that originally there was a global effort to reduce inactivity. And they showed basically that that effort had largely failed. All right, that um, they were trying to reduce physical inactivity by 10% by 2025. So, you know, this is in a couple years from now for us. But they were not on track at all. And they noted that physical activity was particularly high in high-income countries. And unfortunately, women tended to be less active than men. And so basically, we are living in a world and society where we're all just becoming lazier and lazier. We're just not as physically active as we should be. And that makes sense, like, right? With, with technological and scientific advancements, you know, life has become easier. So, of course, we were going to become lazier and lazier. And we become more reliant on these advancements to do the hard work that we were supposed to do or we were originally doing. So, yes, we live in a more efficient world where we can do more, accomplish more in a short period of time. But at the same time, we have become less active physically. And studies show that that has taken a toll on us physically as well in our health and our overall well-being. Now, Paul here is not speaking of physical activity or inactivity or laziness in this passage, but he's talking about spiritual laziness. This issue of idleness appears to be a spiritual problem, but it's also a physical problem in that people are not working physically here. And this is a serious problem. Back in 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, Paul already addressed this to some degree. He addressed idleness there. And we see it again here in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. So some commentators believe that there is a connection to the false, there was a connection to the false teaching of the end times with their laziness. Perhaps some church members thought that Christ's return was coming very soon, and they felt like, oh, what's the point of working? Jesus is coming back. Like, now just you know, wait around until that happens, right? So there's speculation about that. Maybe that was the reason for that. The reality is we're not really sure what the real reason is. We don't really know if that's the case, but we do know that it appears that these Christians were being lazy and taking advantage of other Christians as a result. And these people were not, you know, I want to make caveats here, they were not people who were sick or they were disabled or needy, but instead they were very capable of working but refusing to do so. So basically they were taking advantage of their fellow brothers and sisters. And in turn, those who actually needed help were not getting the help that they needed. So the first point we see in this passage is that we are called to work for and obey the Lord. Right? Work is important, and we are supposed to work. We were created to work, and that's the most clear and obvious thing we notice from this passage. Paul says to look to his example, right? Paul's example in verses 7 to 8. He says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor uh, did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. You know, Paul is indicating that him as a missionary there was not seeking to be a burden there, so he worked alongside his missionary efforts. 
Now, that doesn't mean that every pastor needs to be a missionary and needs to work on the side, because in other parts, Paul says that you are to take care of your shepherds and teachers and, and pastors, and so that's, Paul is implying that you should be paying them to do that work. But Paul here is a missionary. He's starting a new work, a new church. So, of course, he, he didn't expect people to pay him, and so he went out there to work and labor amongst them too. And so he's saying that, he's not saying like, look at me, you know, I did this amazing thing of being a missionary and also working and, and also, you know, putting in my effort and making money and contributing in this way. No, Paul is saying, I'm telling you to do something that I've already done, right? So it, to flip it around, I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't already done, right? If I can do it, you can do it as well. Paul is saying he's not a hypocrite. He's saying that, you know, I'm telling you this as someone who's done it. Right? I'm not saying I'm lazy here and you guys should just do the work. No, I've done the work. I'm telling you as someone who is not a, hypocr a hypocrite. And he's not mooching off these people as a missionary. No, he's saying he lives this out himself. And so, again, we see the importance of good models or role models, right? those we can imitate, not to venerate them, not to think of them as heroes, but to show that it is possible, that we are called to do the same. And when it's done well, there's a chain reaction that occurs, right? When we have good role models, then we ourselves begin to lead others as well, and then another one, and then another one, and that's how we can pass on these values and share these values in the community to those around us, and especially to our next generation, to our children and our children's children. So Paul implies here that he has taught them that there is importance, there is an importance to work. There is actually a theology of work, right? He says that he taught them the truth, and they appear to be not living according to the truth that Paul has given them. So that means Paul had instructed them on this, the biblical basis of how they should live their lives, their understanding of what work means as a Christian, right? Back in Genesis 1 and 2, it says we were created to work, and work is indeed a glorious thing that God has made for us. Christians aren't supposed to be idle. They are supposed to work. It is a mandate of creation. That means it is the a very essence of who we are. We're not meant to just be lazy and do nothing. We're meant to do something with our lives, to toil and, and make effort. And, you know, the, the result of work or the consequences of work is definitely a result of sin, like, you know, when we suffer because of work, when we have pain because of work. You know, that's all a result of the fall, right? Work isn't supposed to be painful in that way, in that way but work itself is actually beautiful. And we are all each called to do that work, to contribute in some way. And what is our primary work now besides providing for our families? Of course, that's one of the primary things that we are supposed to do for our work. But we are now called to work to make disciples, to go and make disciples. We have received the good news, the gospel. We have come to know and believe in the resurrection, no, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that only by his grace he has given, this, given us this new life. We are transformed from the inside out. And so now our primary work is not to just make money or to provide for our families. No, our primary work now is to worship God and to go and make disciples, right? It's not even to contribute to society in a positive way, which is 
which is also good, but the main work, again, the utmost importance that has eternal ramifications, that is the duty of all believers in Jesus, is to go and make disciples. Of course, first is worship God, to honor him, to love him, and then that means to go and make disciples. Going and making disciples requires work. It requires effort. Serving one another requires work. It requires effort. Even our daily work, the work that we have each and every day, can contribute to the work of making disciples, not only by witnessing in our workplaces or amongst our neighbors, but also making money so that we can contribute money to the church, to contribute generously to Christian causes. Without money, we wouldn't be able to have churches. Without money, we wouldn't have Christian organizations being able to do the work that God has called them to do. And so, essentially, all of this requires work. William Borden was a wealthy businessman, uh, and, and he was a Christian who, who gave, at the time, hundreds of thousands of dollars to various mission organizations and to various seminaries and Bible institutes as well. And this was back in the early 1900s. And so back then, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars is basically, you know, tens of millions of dollars now. But that was not the only work, way his work contributed to the church. He ended up himself training to be a missionary and working to be a missionary uh, to Muslims and mostly in northwest China, the border of Turkey and China. And, and he said this about his efforts to be a missionary. He said, the rewards of missionary effort are incalculably greater than any rewards that can follow social achievements. I never had any craving to enter society. I prefer the missionary field. Now, Borden exemplified a man whose work not only contributed monetarily to the kingdom, but also he used his own hands and feet to go and bring the gospel to those who needed to hear it. You know, of course, not everyone is meant to be a missionary. That's not what I'm saying here. And all, and all of us, but, but all of us can make an impact to the kingdom through our work, whatever our work may be. But being faithful workers ultimately allows us to live out the gospel, to be more faithful to Christ in our lives. Another big reason why work is so important, according to our passage, is that when we don't work and we don't contribute our part to the community, we tend to be busy doing things that we shouldn't be doing. All right, so when we spend our time working, we spend less time doing things that we shouldn't be doing. The word idle, I-D-L-E in Greek, is ataktos, which has this connotation of being uh, idle, of course, but it also means, and according to the ESV Bible commentary, uh, in an, it, means that it means idle in an undisciplined way, in an uh, irresponsible or disorderly manner. Essentially, those people are, these people are avoiding their responsibility when they don't work, and they're avoiding their obligation to work and are instead being disruptive as a result. In verse 11, Paul says, uh, For we hear that some among us, some among you, walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Again, in the original language, this is a connotation of meddling, right? When you're being idle, being busy, disrupting people's lives. So we were created to work, to contribute to our family, to our society, to our church. 
And if we do not do our part, then it can most likely lead us to being busybodies, being disruptive, being disorderly. And when we do that, not only do we fail to contribute, we actually cause harm to our community and to our church. So work and obey the Lord as he has called us to do. The next point that we see in this passage is that we are called to continue the work for and obey the Lord. Meaning we are to persevere in doing good and working. Paul says to the Thessalonians to not grow weary in doing good in verse 13 of our passage. He says to not be discouraged. That's essentially what he's saying. And he's saying to continue to do the work. Continue to obey the Lord. Don't stop. A lot of times in ministry and in life, we experience discouragement and burnout. And especially when we see people around us and we witness people around us living a life that's hurting themselves, especially people who are close to, who we love. So many families get discouraged and burnt out when a family member becomes an addict right, of some sort, whether that may be drugs or alcohol, sex, whatever it may be. You know, so many parents get burnt out when their children are rebellious against them. I once had a friend in high school who had caused a lot of stress upon his family and friends. He was, you know, a good friend, a good kid, a very loyal friend, but at the age of 17, he had basically a huge drinking problem. He was an alcoholic at the age of 17. He would regularly be drunk in school. He'd get suspended multiple times, and so he would have to get counseling, and I think he entered some type of rehab, but none of it really was helping at the time. And I remember, you know, I would spend a lot of time with my, this friend, and um, I went to his house, and we were just hanging out, and his mom basically came to me and pulled me aside, and she's a, a Polish woman, so with her broken English, basically saying, Paul, what are we going to do about Walter? That's not his real name, but, you know, what are we going to do about Walter? And she was just sharing how it was so stressful, so difficult for their family, seeing their son struggle so much, and it had affected them financially as well. And um, they even tried to get rid of all their alcohol in the house. And if you know anything about Polish people, that is like a huge deal. It's like Chinese people getting rid of rice in their house, right? Alcohol is a big deal for Polish people, for Eastern Europeans. And they were trying everything they could to help him. But it didn't seem like much was working, and it was causing so much stress and strain upon this family in many ways. This family was discouraged because of their son who was struggling with an addiction. And I could see the weary look on my friend's, fa- on my friend's mother's face as she was sharing her concerns. And I was so sad because I couldn't do much. I was just a kid at the time. I was just a friend. And of course, I tried to talk to him, but you know, I just felt just as helpless as she did. So you can imagine, in the Thessalonian church, these fellow brothers are causing problems. It is discouraging people because of their disruptions, on top of the fact that they were already being persecuted by outsiders. They were already being constantly persecuted by those around them. And so you have that, and then you add the fact that internally there are people who are causing harm and disruption in the church. They're not pulling their weight. They're being lazy, and people are trying to address them and work with them. They're having these issues with these fellow brothers and causing trouble. It was a great big period of discouragement for the church. But Paul says 
not to be discouraged. They're, you know, they may be tempted to give up. We may be tempted to give up. You know, some of us may be in a situation where life is really hard, where you feel like your world is falling apart and it all seems hopeless or meaningless. But what Paul is saying to us is, now is not the time to give up. We as Christians need to stand for the truth of God's word more than ever before. And that is so true for us now. So may we not grow weary because we know that it is ultimately not in our hands. We don't have to put it all on us. It's not by our effort that things can change. It is all in God's hands. He will make a way. God is faithful. He will provide. And he will do his will, ultimately. And we know this because he has already done it, done it in what Jesus has done, in his saving, victorious work of Jesus Christ. And so we can cling to that hope in what Jesus has done, that he has given us victory over sin and that he will redeem the world and restore all things. Lastly, we see that Paul commands us to discipline those who do wrong according to God's word. We see throughout this passage, he says to keep away from fellow brothers. Right? He, sees, he says to keep away from them, not just brothers, of course sisters are included in that, Right, who are walking in idleness. In verse 14, it says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Paul is essentially telling us to not condone or approve or enable those not doing good. Right? Again, we cannot condone or approve or enable people who are not doing good. Usually when we think of discipline, we think of maybe like a pastor or a leader you know, trying to come alongside someone to discipline. And it is true, there is an obligation for church leaders to take a prominent role in church discipline. That is part of the authority that they have been given. However, Paul is speaking to the whole church here. Paul is speaking to the whole church, and he's saying all of us have an active role to play in being mutually accountable to one another. Right, so all of you, the church, has a role to play in disciplining one another. So when we see a brother or sister sinning, and particularly living in unrepentant sin, we are to speak to them, we are to confront them if needed. But when we do this, as Paul says, we warn them not as an enemy, but we warn them as a brother or a sister. We do not regard these people as enemies. We regard them as brothers and sisters. So we walk alongside them when we discipline them. We do it with love and compassion and care. So when we seek to discipline someone, we do so not as a form of punishment, but as a way to hopefully restore them, to bring them to repentance. That is the goal of discipline. The dis- discipline is not to punish someone. Discipline is to hopefully restore them and to have them be reconciled with God and even be reconciled with those that they have hurt. So this is about winning people back. This is about winning people back, those who are not living according to God's word. And I know I have heard some individuals here in our church who have tried to keep each other accountable, have called each other out for our sins, or you know, telling someone to the effect, you're not being 
or you're not living like a Christian. And Paul says the whole church is to participate in this form of disciplining. In a way, this is discipleship, right? Mutual discipleship that is happening when we discipline in this way. So let us continue to keep each other accountable, have this mutual accountability to discipline those who do wrong and to not condone or approve or enable those who go against the word of God. You know, some people read this part of the passage and they think perhaps Paul is being too harsh. Right? Paul is being very harsh when he says, you know, have nothing to do with them. But we have to remember the context here, that these idle brothers and sisters were not only being lazy, but most likely they are hurting the church community as a result. It's not a neutral laziness, just like, oh, I guess you're just there, lazy. No, these people are hurting the community with their laziness. This is bringing about a negative outcome. So it's the same, it's, it's the same idea as if um, there was a man, let's say he claims to be a Christian, he joins a church, but he turns out to be a sexual predator. And he preys on the women of the church. He goes around to the young women and tries to seduce them. What would we do? What should we do? Well, we should definitely tell our members to stay away from this person, to keep away, because this person is causing harm to the church. We should confront this person. We should have him be stopped immediately. He's causing too much harm. He's causing too much damage. He's destroying the church with his actions. It's not a time for, oh, we need to welcome him. Oh, we need to be understanding of him. You know, that's our default a lot of times when people who struggle with sin, when we try to address it. Oh, we shouldn't offend him. No, that would be ridiculous. I think all of us would agree. That would be utterly ridiculous for us to approach someone who is doing something like that in that way. This person is hurting the body. So the priority is to keep them away from the body. And so that is why Paul is saying, stay away. Keep away from these people because they appear to not be brothers and sisters anymore. So we cannot treat them like brothers and sisters. Now, you know, a sexual predator may require a firmer response compared to someone that is just being lazy or who's hurting the community with their laziness or idleness. But the same principle applies here. There are times where it is necessary to keep away from, keep away from someone who is hurting the community. And this is discipline that is necessary. And ultimately, the, again, the purpose is not to regard them as enemies. The purpose is to ultimately restore them. We pray that they would come, uh, come and, be, uh, and repent of their sins and truly seek reconciliation as a result. And so Paul ends this letter by addressing this issue of work and idleness because, again, it is a big deal. We, we have this tendency in our day and age to be idle, to be lazy. And this is including in our workplaces, in our homes, and in the church. Work was created by our God, and we were created to work. We are to work for and obey the Lord. That is the ultimate work we are called to do. We are called to persevere in doing good work, to continue to do work and obey the Lord, 
even in the midst of discouragement and hardship. And we are to discipline those who fail to work. Or more broadly, we are called to discipline those who do wrong according to God's word. And we can do all these things only in Christ. Because by his blood and the grace that he has given to us, that we have received, he has renewed our work. Our work was with sin, but now our work can be transformed and sanctified so we can now truly work for the glory of God. And we can trust in Jesus. And when we receive, in, when we receive Jesus and trust in him, we believe that we receive his grace as a result the grace to do the work that we were created to do. So may the Lord help all of us here today to be a church that seeks to work and do good for the glory of God and for his kingdom. And may we seek to find ways to serve the church and to contribute to the church instead of being a consumer of the church and just being idle and lazy asking the church to just serve me. May the Lord speak to all of us and lead us, and maybe even to repent if you feel like you have been idle. I encourage you to come before God and ask for forgiveness and ask him to change your heart and to repent of your sin. Or may the Lord help you to find ways to do other work or work that is even more beneficial for the glory of God. Maybe God is calling you to do more than you are doing now. So may the Lord help us to apply these truths to our context, to our hearts, and to our church. And because of Jesus, and because of his grace for us, not by any strength of, of, our, of our own or effort of our own, we believe that Jesus will make it so. He will make it so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe because of what Jesus has done but Lord, Lord, you will make it so. And you, we will persevere. And as Paul has confidence to say to the Thessalonians that they will persevere, Lord, we know that we can persevere as well. We can continue to do the work that you have called us to do, not by our own effort, not by our own uh, thoughts and ideas and our talents and abilities. Lord, it is only by your Spirit and by your grace. And so God, help us to do work, to not be lazy, to not be idle. God, we, we want to be individuals who, who contribute to the work that you are calling us to do. So God, may we not be harming the community in our idleness, but instead may we be a part of building up your kingdom for your glory. So God, help us to see the ways in which we are being selfish, the ways in which we have to repent of this sin of idleness and laziness. Lord, we know that at the end of the day, it is just our greed and selfishness that leads us to, to, to do this. So God, help us to turn away from, from those selfish thoughts, to be more selfless and humble, to truly love others as you have called us to love. And we can love others because of your love for us. So God, lead us here today, work in our hearts, and may we give all the glory to you as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.